You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello everyone, welcome back to episode 141 of Arsenal Pass. Hayden Dow joined always by Mr. Brendan Patrick. This week on the pod, we're getting ready to wrap up the year. Take a look back at 2023 and some important milestones, events and learnings in flesh and blood. Brendan, it's been a, it's been a year. It's mm-hmm. been a, I don't know, do you reckon this, you know when everyone says like as you get older, like, oh, you know, years go faster. Has this year gone fast for you or has it kind of just been the same? Yeah. Same? Um, it's funny you say that because I think you're 30 years old, right? <laughs> I don't want to expose well, you on the pod. But last month. Yeah, I'm, I'm 29, uh, I guess, going on 30. And I don't know, I've just been feeling that in general recently because I feel like you, it's all numbers and it's all semantics. It feels like in your 20s, you can kind of figure things out. But then as soon as you hit 30, it's like, oh shit, I actually have to do something with my life. And I feel like I'm on the cusp of hitting that that period where I'm like, oh. But um, anyway, that leads into, yeah, it's gone by so fast and I'm almost 30 years old. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, what am I doing uh, with my life? <laughs> so. Yes. D- don't worry. It doesn't. It doesn't really change. It's the same. So <laughs> I can. I can. I can leave you. That's the short. Yeah. That's what I'm afraid of. Is that it's just the same. And I don't know. It, it's. It's an interesting concept uh, because. Yeah. I mean, like I said, your early twenties, like you really just figure stuff out. You get out of college. You do whatever. You're like moving around. Uh, you make these big changes, and then you. Ex- I don't know. It just kind of hits you in the face. You're like, oh shit! I have to kind of think about like, do I want to have kids or like do it? <laughs> it's like all this weird stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Midlife crisis, basically, <laughs> basically. Hey, save that for another 10 years. Um, <laughs> so on the pod this week, we are going to cast an eye towards 2024 as well, Brendan. We won't just be retrospective in 2023. We will look forward to 2024. Some more announcements have come out over the past week as well, which we're going to cover very soon on Organized Play for 2024, plus uh, some changes that will impact kind of the start of 2024, especially around how ban and you know, hint, no longer suspended list works, uh, which we will break into very soon. But yeah, also a little bit of a look at heavy hitters and a bit of a, a bit of a tiny, tiny taster for uh, something coming in the next week on heavy hitters as well, Brendan. We've got a bit of something to uh, to tease. But anyway, I don't know. Uh, this week in Flesh and Blood, I mean, this is, as we said last week, the really the, the end of the off season. I personally haven't played any Flesh and Blood this week, Brendan. I don't know about you. Um, I have watched a little bit though. I did watch a little bit of coverage, but otherwise no Flesh and Blood this week for me. I mean, this week is mostly just spoilers, and I'm happy that they're doing spoilers kind of this way. I mean, I'm sure they're not mm-hmm. going to do them this way. We're going to still get them in a two-day period, but I do like yep. when they trickle them out. It gives you more time to digest them, and you sort of like build this narrative as you get uh, more cards slowly added. So I really enjoy that. So I've been enjoying looking at the spoilers. There's some some that have definitely surprised me. <laughs> uh to say the least but uh yeah i mean fab off season is fab off season like i don't know it's a good time to take a break from the game after we come off the back of the pro tour and the world championships yep why don't we go straight into talking about the previews from this week uh briefly before we jump into the news so because i think one of the craziest cards i've seen previewed in a while got previewed this week and i i I haven't really checked the you know the the discord discourse or the twitter discourse as to people how how people are reacting to this card so i'd love to hear in the comments like kind of what people are thinking about this card but there has been a cycle revealed which is a hybrid effectively as you know everyone loves to say uh two card sevens brendan a three cost seven attack at red but it's a cycle of uh guardian slash warrior attack actions uh well sorry there's one as a guardian slash warrior attack action there's a brute slash warrior attack action um and then there's also a brute slash guardian so there's one for each wedge 
of the the three classes represented in heavy hitters. So that's wage might, wage agility, and wage vigor. And each of these, uh, yeah, a three cost attack at red for seven, at defense for two. I believe this is also a cycle. And when it attacks, you can wager. Obviously, for might, it's a might token, agility, agility token, vigor, a vigor token. Uh, I believe at this point we still haven't seen the might token, right? We've seen agility and gold. Obviously, we know what gold does. We know agility is this new kind of quicken esque token, mm-hmm. um, but we're still yet to see what what the what the might token is. But Brendan, the card that I'm was most interested to see. Sorry, yeah, we've seen so there's vigor vigor tokens that the women seen. So we've seen. Oh, we've seen vigor as well. So I don't know. I mean, yeah. I googled it and it came up, and vigor token is at the start of your turn destroy this, then gain a resource, which is like okay, pretty nuts. That's right. So have we seen the might token? Because it's not. I'm looking at the spoiler page and I can't see the. Um, let me just might. the vigor token. Maybe we have seen the might token. We probably have. Um, let me, yeah, we have. So might uh, okay. actually no, no, this is current. Oh, there it is. There's the might token. Uh, it's just. Of course, it's absolutely uh, microscopic. So give me a sec here as I try to zoom into it. Maybe the it's mi- the deal damage. It's the attack plus attack one, right? Yeah, it looks like it maybe came out in the professor box actually. So it says at the start of your turn, destroy this, and the next attack this turn gains plus one. Yeah, yeah. So they're all start of turn triggers might for resource, agility for go again, and um, sorry, might for plus damage, agility for uh, go again, and vigor for the resource. I mean, Vigor seems crazy. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it'll be a bit harder to make than the others, but one resource is definitely way better than one attack. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely remember seeing this as well, because everyone was talking about, like, kind of Blossom of Spring. Like, this is kind of what this is, right? It creates your Blossom of Spring, effectively, that pops at the start of your turn. So, um, yeah, card, card's good. But Wage Gold is the one I'm most interested in, which is a rare. So, the rest is a common cycle, but Wage Gold is a rare cycle. And there's a new keyword. So, it's still a three-cost red... Uh, attacks for seven, defense for two, or the one we've seen so far, and it has wager a gold token with your opponent, but it has this new keyword, universal, while in any zone, this is the same class as your hero. Brendan, you finally got a wizard attack action. Yeah, it's probably still bad <laughs> <laughs> in Kano. Um, yeah, for anybody one like that goes to the the place that I kind of went to for a sec before I immediately checked myself, no, you can't Kano this and banish it or anything <laughs> like that. It has to be a non-attack action, so... Yeah, I mean, what do you think about these these two for sevens? Because two for, I mean, two card seven that blocks for two is actually not that impressive. I mean, it's fine, no. but the the additional text of the cards is that you can take a risk, you can wager, and you can probably get that two for eight ish value, right? Yeah. So I think in limited, I love I love these. Right, they're they're early pick that probably you know keeps you open to two classes. Um, so I think that's the kind of card I'm looking for in a set like this. I think that's the kind of what we need for the draft format in particular is these kind of strong cards that keep you open, um, you know, think of outsiders with the kind of hybrid cards, but now we've got a hybrid card in each wedge. So as opposed to just two of the three wedges, which I think is really interesting in terms Mm. of wage gold. I mean, a card that is, you know, like on the, on the surface of it, yeah, it's just a two card seven and it does defend for two. But I mean, the fact that this is open to every class and is a class card is really interesting because people were, you know, jamming poppers in the deck just to have poppers and, and some of those have anti-synergy. They don't work quite the way that people want them to. I think that's just, I think we're at the point now where there's enough of those kind of abilities that this probably isn't as powerful as it looks when I first saw it. But I, I think the the flexibility of this for Constructed is really interesting. But in Limited, this card is also, you know, very, very good because it's all three classes. Um, so it does keep you completely open potentially in mm. a class card. So you can trigger all your class specific um, pieces to it. But also at the same time, you know, you can play it in any of them. So um, I think Wage Gold is very, very interesting for both Limited and Constructed. 
So my favorite card, Spoiled, is actually a token. Um, it's created by another card. It's called Centauri Cell Sword, and I did not see this mm. coming. So, because uh, I can basically make allies. They're warrior tokens, like little warrior guys mm. that fight for you. They have three attack, two defense, and say once per turn action attack. It costs one resource, but go. They have go again. Um, it says Centauri Cell, Cell Sword can only attack if you've attacked with a weapon this turn. So one of the cards that creates this is called Raise an Army, which is a warrior non-attack action. Kasai uh, specialization. It pitches for yellow, costs zero, blocks a three, and says as an additional cost to play this, destroy X gold you control. Create X Centauri Cell Sword tokens. Go again, and this is obviously a majestic. This is just absolutely not where I saw Warrior going whatsoever. Is like you're know, like raising this army because this is, uh, I mean, this is something that's been definitely reserved for illusionists in the past. But the idea of like bringing up all these cell swords to fight for you as Kasai because they're mercenaries and you deal with gold is like quite the flavor win, in my opinion. I, I really don't like at this stage, this many years in the flesh and blood. This idea of like flavor and flavor wins, like it is very much aloof to me because I just don't see the game that way anymore. But this jumps out to me and I'm like, wow, it's actually pretty sweet. I think it's really interesting for Limited in particular. You know, the way you can make gold with Kasai is the hero ability, which is the Spanish two red, two yellow. Next time a weapon hits this turn, uh, you create a gold token. Plus, you've obviously got gold synergies. I mean, we just saw wage, wage gold, right? Um, there's other cards that allow you to wage for, for gold and to collect gold. So it's interesting to see if the Centauri Cell Sword. A token is created by anything other than raise an army i mean it seems really powerful right so if it's anything other than this majestic that's interesting for limited in terms of what that does and then in terms of constructed you know obviously you have the kasai of the golden sand ability um and kasai young kasai ability which are the same but in terms of you know kind of how you actually generate enough gold potentially pull off these big raise army turns that that's gonna be interesting to see i think um i don't know don't know quite what that will look like but Interesting spoilers so far, interesting preview season. Um, why don't we just, I, I guess on the back of that, Brennan, we have a preview dropping on December 29th. Yeah. Uh, that we, yeah. We're, we're back what, in what Legend we... Story's favor. We're revealing a hero. There you go. Uh, wink, a wink hero. on that. There's uh, there's definitely, <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. Um, I can't spoil anything, but. Uh, no, the... we, we, but we have a hero to reveal. Yeah, so. there's, uh, yeah, tongue in cheek with, uh, we have a hero to reveal. <laughs> December 29th, you can check it out. Uh, I'm be on Twitter. We'll have something to share directly from LSS Plus. Uh, yeah, so so look out for that. That'll be, I mean, what are we now? So it'll be the week. What's the 29th? That is the, is that a month? What day is that? So I got this thing in the bottom right of my computer. I can Saturday. click it. It's a Friday. Yeah. Oh, might be a Saturday. It's a Friday here. You're right. You're right. Okay. It is. You're right. It is. <laughs> um, so check out, look out for that. Why don't we pop into the news? And um, I want to start with ban and the no longer suspended but newly restricted announcement. I think the first big thing, right, is that there is no more suspended list. So LSS have announced that uh, they're going to do away with the suspended list uh, and use just the ban list. So they've said, you know, they, they use the suspended list, especially in the early sort of portion of this new ban is suspended. So it's been about, what, nearly two years of ban is suspended, at least a year and a half. And one of the, the key reasons they point to was, you know, suspending until things were living legend was a big piece of what they were using they're now happy to make these bans and give a lot more depth to their bannings in terms of their reasoning which i think they have right brennan i think over the past couple of ban and suspended announcements these articles have been a lot longer and they've been a lot clearer about the reasons for or why they haven't banned certain cards or suspended certain cards so a move to a, a no no longer suspended list. I don't know any thoughts on kind of just using that ban list and LSS's kind of clarity on on what the ban list is. I'm just trying to remember if we started out 
initially with just a ban list and then they expanded that to they expanded that to a ban suspended yeah. list because right. they needed more nuance and now we're going back mm-hmm. um i i just remember i when they came out with the idea of suspended i thought it was a good idea because their the ban system back then didn't feel encompassing enough um felt a big bit too ag- agnostic but um i don't know it, I don't really have too many thoughts when it comes to bans, like the the ban is suspended and the future design of the game and how it's all going to work with the increase rotation in Living Legend. I kind of just have to trust them and give my opinion as it plays out. But ultimately, I think that if they they're making this decision, they're doing it uh, with confidence. So I'll back them on it. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just these these in depth sort of reasons that like they've gone into more design pieces testing pieces whereas in terms of their ban and suspended uh, reasonings whereas previously you know you get this ban and suspended and i think the reason they bought the suspended list is because you know some of these articles were like half a page they're like this is banned this is suspended see you in a month yeah <laughs> whereas now you know like they're giving the kind of design background to it i think this is brian gottlieb influence like they're giving a lot more uh yeah they're diving into a lot more detail around their their decisions yeah, I really miss the days when they used to just straight up lie to us, like telling us that Starvo lost the <laughs> testing when Plunder Run was legal, which is uh, <clears throat> not true, by the way. <laughs> Before Briar was eroded. Um, all right, let's uh, move on within this because there is... So, Class Constructed, there's no changes. I think that was pretty obvious, right? Um, since Living Legend for Icelander, we've seen a pretty wide array of heroes do well at the Battle Hardens so far. And it's really young in the season. And also it's, you know, it's kind of off season, right? Like there is a few Battle Hardens tracking, but for the most part, you know, we're, we're kind of into what is mostly a fab off season in terms of there's only tier two events running at the moment. So the first tier three event won't be until Queenstown in January. So uh, kind of makes sense. And also that's of course limited with heavy hitters. Blitz, um, Aether Wildfire moves from ban to legal. There you go, Brennan. Stir the Aether Winds moves from ban to legal. And this is the one I want to get your your commentary on. Centauri Saber will become the signature weapon of Kasai and will be legal from the release of Heavy Hitters on February 2nd, 2024. So we'll move off of the uh, Living Legend list where it was the signature weapon for, oh. uh, for yeah. Kasai uh, to now being the signature weapon for Kasai. It's almost so, like you- uh, the, the signature weapon system doesn't make any fucking sense because it's random. <laughs> yeah uh yeah i don't mean to be toxic there but the the idea this whole system i i don't think it's going to last i think they're going to get rid of it eventually because you're just hitting collateral damage on weapons that aren't act- the actual problems when we're rotating a hero that is the actual problem and we're seeing the ramifications of doing such a thing right now but uh yeah that's funny to say the least yeah i mean we, we talked about this on the i think it was a pod like two weeks ago i i, I kind of like the the system to a degree in terms that i do want weapons to to leave i think that's an interesting piece of of um what it opens up to design and deck building and things like that but i do agree this when i saw this i just kind of like thought of you immediately and chuckled and was like oh brendan will have a field day with this one based mm. on his comments a couple of weeks ago but um in terms of the blitzes ban and uh, restricted announcement they also say that they're gonna keep snap back on the ban list for fears of just emperor drakrive um and how how the Emperor kind of interacts with a pretty powerful card there. And just given how powerful, honestly, Emperor is in Blitz right now. So I think giving another card there kind of doesn't make sense. So, you know, I kind of agree with that. Living Legend. All right, here we go. Restricted list is in full swing. We have a total of seven cards being restricted in the Living Legend format. So we talked last week about Living Legend and kind of changes needed to potentially curb Starvo. So Channel Lake Frigid, Crippling Crush, Awakening, Hypothermia, Oakenold. Sorry, let's take a pause. It's quite a long list. Starstruck, Warmonger's Diplomacy, 
a whopping seven cards are all on the restricted list. This now, so this new restricted list means you can play one copy of each of these cards in your deck. That yeah. is what the restricted list means. That is seven cards restricted. That is effectively 21 cards taken from probably Starvo to a degree. But my question is, okay, first of all, is this enough? And secondly, is this the right approach given that you're taking Channel Frigid also from Icelander and Lexi potentially, Crippling Crush from uh, Bravo Showstopper, um, Hypothermia from Icelander, which might not be a bad thing, honestly, that card's so toxic, um, or you're at least restricting it, right? Okanol taken from Ultim, uh, Channel Lake Frigid also taken from Ultim, Starstruck taken from Bravo Star of the Show, and Warmonger's Diplomacy, which may be just the right call because oh, it might yeah. be too powerful against the Rude Blades of the format. But I don't know, just it's a lot of cards here to hit Starvo, and there is splash impact here, which I think is, is worth talking about. I kind of feel like Warmonger's Diplomacy, I just, I don't know if I'm, I've come to a conclusion whether I think that card is just a, a overall mistake, but it's like just a very unfun card, especially when it can be easily splashed in mm. as a blue and it just, you know, turns off <laughs> significant portion of decks that you might face. Um, I have, I'm, that's the one I'm actually, you know, some of these are expected, like Awakening, but Warmonger's Diplomacy, I'm really happy to see that that was restricted. CLF is a very interesting decision considering that Phi exists. And if you, the more that you neuter Starvo, the more that the Phi basically Kano deck that starts in play stays in play uh, becomes more playable. Uh, and that deck is really toxic. So overall, yeah, I like it. I think that they're they're definitely knocking Starva down a peg, and I think it will still be a good deck, but um, yeah. changes were needed. We had eight of the yep. top eight <laughs> consistently. <laughs> so this will leave a lot of room for other decks to come to come back into the format. Uh, CLF is the weirdest one for me, though. Yeah, I think my biggest problem with the, the restrictions is just that kind of second piece, which is, you know, I, okay, first of all, I think, yeah, Starva, this will definitely impact Starva, 100%. You know, you're losing somewhere in the vicinity of, like, 15 to 21 cards potentially from the deck so you have to relook at how you build that deck and that, that's happened to starvo a few times um in different formats but then you i think you look at the cards that get taken from something like it feels like it's like okay we've already cut away a big chunk of Iceland and ultim before we even get jiving with the format yeah. and look honestly for the health of the format i actually think that's probably a good thing to be honest i think you know that leaves exploration open for for other heroes that haven't seen some prominence of play for a very long time but I think when it, the purpose of the format is like Living Legend and to allow people to play all their heroes again, I think that's, you know, you're basically starting with kind of a handicap on some of these heroes. And that's, that's I don't know, it feels a bit weird to me in a Living Legend format, but mm, we'll I, see. I think it's, I, I actually think it's interesting for the game. I'm excited by this, but I'm just not sure it kind of fits the philosophy of what I thought Living form, Living Legend format would be in terms of some of the splash damage here that's happening with the restrictions. I think I have a hot, like not so hot take and people can tell me if it's dog water, but I think that. Restricting CLF makes Icelander immediately like basically unplayable in Living Legend format because how is it going to deal with like any aggro deck? It it already yeah, exists on a fine margin in Class Constructed with having three of these cards in the deck, and your your matches are predicated off of you drawing this card earlier rather than later, also drawing it in multiples, and having a single one in a format where the aggro decks are actually on steroids. Like I just don't think that Icelander is going to be remotely playable in this format yeah. i could be wrong i mean but clf is just the weirdest hit to me i understand that it's uh it's it's definitely a restricting card but i think it's like a very fair restricting cards i mean this this five deck literally wins on turn turn zero or turn one with equipment that just yeah. starts on board i think what this does is a deck like icelander now has to lean into the power turns a lot more so the combo turns into the amulet of ice turns and yeah i, th I think 
I send it still as a placeness format, but it's going to be pretty susceptible to these aggregates without, or with one copy of Hypothermia, one copy of Chinelli Frigid. Honestly, Hypothermia can go take a walk. Honestly, I hate that card so much. I think that card is pretty toxic, but yeah. Well, anyway, I also um, think Awakening should have just been straight up banned because the card is still going to be yeah. freaking annoying to play against. Like, even if it's a one of, yeah. I mean, the card's design is just bad, in my opinion. Um, I don't think that it should exist in Flesh and Blood, but. It's it's, yeah. it's fine. I'll survive. I'll survive if there's one allowed. Whatever. <laughs> My kind of other takeaway from the use of the restricted format, like you say, as opposed to just banning these cards, is like they're restricted so many cards and using a restricted system. It's like the, what, the, what this feels like reading between the lines to me is let's increase the variance, but don't diminish the power too much. You know what I mean? Like That's, kind of some of these yeah. fundamentals that we've talked That's about. That's flesh and blood. Shift and flesh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <so>. <laughs> <laughs> that, that just basically is flesh and blood. Uh, really doubling down. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, uh, this this next set, uh, theoretically, because it is so combat-based and it's back to the roots, um, I don't remember who I heard that quote from, but it was somebody that works at that company. It should have less variance in it, I guess, from from that description, but we'll see. If they extend the, some of these design concepts that we've seen in these previous two sets to this set, then I think it's very clear that their direction forward is to mm-hmm. cut out the floor and increase, you know, make leave the ceiling there. Just make it more variable. Uh, lastly, Commoner, Amulet of Ice, and Stubby Hammer is banned. Look, I personally haven't played much Commoner, and I know it's a, a format that yeah. I'll just kind of chicken on irregularly, but um, from what I've heard, those two bans make sense. And lastly, next ban is Restricted Announcement. Uh, it's going to be tough getting my head around saying ban Restricted every time as opposed to ban Suspended, because it took me about this long to stop saying <laughs> ban Restricted as a Magic player. Uh, previously uh will be monday march 25th but remember there is a living legend check every week so that is after the pt the next band's band strict announcements after the pt so unless there's an emergency kind of announcement whatever happens to the heavy hitters heading towards pt la like that is the format we'll have outside of living legend uh that could occur from and honestly there's not really many heroes that are close to living legend that could live in legend before ptla so ptla kind of looks like we'll get heavy hitters and then get into your testing and um that's the format you were playing so that Personally, from yep. a personal standpoint, I'm, I'm good with. Um, so we'll see how that kind of plays out. Yes, yes. I, I mean, we've spoken about it before on the pod. This, this, uh, whenever Pro Tours or World Championships are set up in a way to where there can be a significant change in the metagame due to a rotation, a ban, or mm-hmm. something one or two weeks before, uh, I think it's less interesting, actually. It's maybe more interesting yeah. to spectate, but it's less interesting to prepare for. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I think, it, yeah, again, it depends on like time available, right? Like for me, it's it's stressful and I don't have the time to do that. So I, I, I'm thankful for a bit more of a solved format heading to it. Well, I'm not, yeah, I don't like it to being solved. I like that I know kind of where I stand. Um, but if there does, if there's not room for innovation, that kind of does bum me out a little bit. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, Premier play announcement for early 2024. So there's been a lot of things. I mean, this is off season, but so many announcements coming from LSS in the last uh, week or so. Top line, not one, but two Pro Tours, 18 callings, 15, 50 Battle Hardens, uh, which we knew a lot about already, but the 18 callings is, is now confirmed. Kicks off at the start of the year with Jan 17th, Queenstown. Um, it's the premiere of the heavy hitters on the Friday and the calling on Saturday, Sunday. And then, of course, Brennan, the once-in-a-lifetime celebration featuring all of your favorite fab faces, Brennan. That's all of them will be there, uh, obviously. <laughs> Yep, 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 yep. Uh, anyway. Anyway, uh, let's talk co- about one versus two pro tours. Um, <laughs> okay. Which you've already known about. That was an interesting change in the first place. We had a very back-to-back-to-back competitive season in 
uh, what was it, 2021 or 2022? 2022, sure, surely, right? That was when yeah, we were in the- 2022. Yeah, very back-to-back. This year back. part to us. And yeah. there were some people, uh, definitely a vocal minority, that complained about that, 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 that state of organized play, that it was too much, et cetera. And I don't know if the, re- if the change was as a result to those complaints, but then we, then we changed the system with one pro tour and one world championship. And it's definitely worse. <laughs> it's, it's way better to have two, two pro tours and one worlds and just more mm-hmm. big events. I think that with that original argument stem from this idea that you literally have to go to both, like you don't. If, if you can't make no. both of them, if you can only make one or you can only make one pro tour in the world championship, that's fine. You're not obligated to go to these. And I think that when we, as a, maybe as a response to that, received less top end organized play, that was uh, not good. And I'm happy they responded and brought it back because you, you want more reasons to mm. travel. Like it's cool to go to LA and then to go to Amsterdam and then to go to Japan for the next world championship. Like I would love to do that. <laughs> Uh, so I'm happy to see it. And the, the, I thought you meant to tell anyone yeah. that. <laughs> the big, honestly, the big, the big news here, by the way, is not the two pro tours. It's the 18 callings. That's what that, that's what yeah. Legistory is actually really proud of. Is these 18 callings um, and the 50 battle hardens. Yeah, I mean, it, honestly, these days it feels like there's fit, there's already 50 battle hardens going on because there's so many grassroots tournaments going on, and you know they're not yeah. all battle hardens, but we have these like but there's some PTI events. events given. Yeah, there's some PTI events where mm-hmm. PTI is given out. Yeah. So honestly, like between battle hardens and PTI events, there's like currently like over 100 well over 100 PTIs given out mm-hmm. so um yeah it's interesting I, I think for me I agree with you like I basically we can talk about this later on probably won't be it in Amsterdam um I I like the, the problem okay so the problem I think that they had originally with dropping to one PT or the reason they needed to do it was they just hadn't figured out the schedule like the scheduling was so tight oh, yeah. now they've like announced ahead of time the schedule all the way to PT2 which I mean, honestly, like, I didn't think that was actually going to happen. I was like, they need to do this. Didn't happen last year. Didn't think it was going to happen again this year. They've gotten, gotten it sorted out. They're ahead of the curve. or I mean, they're on the curve now. They were behind the curve in terms of announcement of events. And I think the scheduling makes a lot more sense now. So I think people kind of talked about burnout with two progress seasons in particular last season. But I think the game is now maturing. People understand what they want to play and not they people are thinking it from like oh what do i want to play as opposed to what do i need to play and i think that was kind of a interesting way to look at it anyway yeah. but that's how people looked at it burnout is like such a i don't know this the argument of burnout back in that old competitive season in my opinion was like so narcissistic because it wasn't actually like mm-hmm. they weren't referring to burnout where like oh i had to grind this rtn circuit in order to make it to the pro tour they're like oh no, i'm spo- i'm spoiled for choice on pro tours i have burnout it's like shut the fuck up <laughs> like it was you can just literally not go to one um and that, and that's and that's where we've arrived now and in, in modern in modern yeah. flesh and blood we have multiple pro tours and a world championship and like Aiden said he's probably not going to amsterdam like if you can't make one it's really not the end of the world mm-hmm. um so callings in hartford liverpool warsaw minneapolis alongside us nats are confirmed already for the first half of the year there is a southeast asian calling april 5th we don't know where yet but we know there is a southeast asian calling there uh there is the other announcement is a longer national season road to national season pro quest season so listening to what everyone's kind of said around that kind of condensed season and, and what that meant for players so going back from three weeks back to four weeks which is where we were the year before um and we can share the season dates so road to nationals runs from feb 17th to march 10th so you know very soon basically kind of that's going to be the first kickoff to the season apart from a couple of callings is this road to national season Procure season five, which will be qualifying for uh, PT Amsterdam, will be April 13th to May 4th. Is that right? That sounds right. Yes. 
uh, United States Nationals in Colleen Manhattan is June 14th, 16th. National Champions for the rest of the world is after this, is after the calling, which I think makes sense because a lot of people last year wanted to play callings but also want to play their Nationals. That's June 21st to July 7th. Uh, and their ProQuest Season 6 will be October 5th to 27th, which will queue you for PT1 2025. Um, so it's good that we have these dates out. Uh, there is also some changes to kind of the event structure and Alice have made it really clear that what the event structures will be for the year in terms of the percentages of calling main events. So they've said that 50% to 60% of the callings will be class constructed. 30 to 35% will be limited. I want to ask you a question about this, Brendan. Mm. It's a big increase in limited sealed deck and booster draft calling main events. And then 10 to 15% will be other events such as Living Legend. So we'll, I think we're definitely seeing a Living Legend calling coming up. Um, Blitz and team. So I'm hoping, I, I would say we probably get one of each of those because we're 18 callings, they're saying 10 to 15%. I'm thinking we probably get one Blitz, one team, one Living Legend calling, um, or maybe potentially just two, a Living Legend and a, a team Blitz, for instance. Um, but yeah, your thoughts on an increase in limited calling main events? I think that's where it's it should be. I think that's where limited should be. It should be in callings. Like, I mean... I've but you did say on the pod last week you said that they were going to see less limited because you're like no they're going to see less less sealed deck they're only going to do sealed deck at a tournament that accompanies another big tournament so at something like a pro tour at a nationals that's what I heard (laughs) and I'm probably not even supposed to say that but that that's what it is and that's because of the approachability I I mean I've spoken ad nauseum that I don't like split format at tier four events Mm -hmm. but I'm okay if it was it's not that I don't like limited I just don't like split format Um, so. With there being more limited callings, I'm totally cool with that. I like the idea of if there's a calling local to me and it is limited, I can just walk up and play. Like Even for someone like me that has access to cards, is entrenched in the game, that's still somewhat of an attractive thing to me. It just makes it easier to do, easier to go to. And I mean, Flesh and Blood is a game that's very proud of its limited, um, for better or for worse. So they should... <laughs> they, I mean, they should put their money where their mouth is and they should, put, they should make these tournaments limited. So... I'm all for it. Your face was so funny then. <laughs> for those on audio. I saw Brennan pause about what to say next. Uh, look, I, I mean, I would love more draft callings sealed. Look, unless there's a, a shift in, in the design and the seal format that I'm always hopeful. You know, I see this like this tri-wedge format coming up in terms of what we've got with the three classes. And that I'm excited for that in terms of how that might work. I'm excited to see all the heroes that we'll be playing with in that format. And maybe maybe Sealed is going to be better. I'll always be hopeful. But if not, then I think these need to be drafted, as Brennan says. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited for a team's calling. I'm super excited for a Living Legend. I'm worried that I'm probably going to get to play none of those because I think those will probably be in larger markets like North America or Europe. And honestly, I think the amount of callings I play in North America and Europe this year will be zero unless it's on day two of a PT and I scrub out again, which, you know, come on, Brendan, I'm going to make sure I'm prepped to not, not scrub out of another tier four event. I've done it once. I'm not doing it again. Um, all right. And then lastly, changes to qualification. So PT Amsterdam is definitely going to be a lot harder to qualify for than previous PTs. There is no more XP uh, qualification for PTs moving forward. They're removing that. They've, if you want to go and check out the full article on fabtcg.com i'd recommend it but they talk about basically the reason for this and it was always coming we've talked about this a lot yeah. you know xp was to a gap a gap stop for in terms of in terms of until elo was a bit more developed um i know this is going to hurt for some other countries potentially smaller countries smaller markets but uh go and check out the article and then there will be now be an elo combined uh board so combining the effectively what we used to have before they split it out brendan but limited and constructed a overall aggregate 
leaderboard for ELO top 75, which I think is great. That's really cool. I think we should have all three of those, to be honest. Um, but that aggregate board will be used for uh, qualifications for PT Amsterdam top 75. Uh, and then I guess they'll review changes from there. Yep. <laughs> Removing XP. Uh, I don't know. I, I know that it's, it's weird because I'm sure... What's the validity to the argument that like, oh, there, it should be there because it incentivizes people to play in their local game stores and people should be mm -hmm. able to qualify this way, um, et cetera. I mean, I don't, yeah, I feel like I'm, it's, it's hard for me to find the words because I feel like I'm going to offend the people that liked qualifying via XP. I never liked that system, even from the beginning. I was like, why do we have an ELO system and we're still qualifying based off of XP? XP is not 100% participation, but it kind of is. Um, and it felt like it lingered for a bit. I do, I don't necessarily disagree that the XP system incentivized higher level players or players that were trying to qualify these events to play more in the local game stores than they would have. Um, and I would not be surprised to see some players that are maybe grinding that local scene in order to get the free the free roll on the XP invite stop doing so, which is probably mm -hmm. not a good thing. But ultimately, to qualify for the highest level of professional flesh and blood play, I just you know qualifying via XP did not feel right when people were also qualifying. Like the other way to qualify was Elo, so it was like it felt like i don't know it feels like elo is the more is more representative of skill and this is coming from a person that is not qualifying off elo than xp and they were weighted they were weighted similarly nevertheless you can still buy pti so what am i gonna say yep <laughs> exactly um yeah don't have too much more to say i think Ooh. give me a bit of a my voice a bit of a break brennan why don't we go into the commander cookout we're back to another youtube section unless you want to say something first it will it will raise the price of ptis by the way <laughs> Yes, it will. It will. It will. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, you mean you mean of gifting? Yes. PTIs. Of of the generous yeah. gifts, they, they might require more favors now. <laughs> um. Yes. Give me. Well, let's move to the commander cookout. We're back on another YouTube section. Uh, commander cookout. Brendan, give me a bit of a break. My voice is struggling. I'm a little bit sick. So uh, take it away. All right. The first one here is from Blasmet. They say thanks for answering my question. Really wanted to bring it uh, to bring discussion up about it since the LL format seems stale without uh, without something to adjust to it. Also, OTK Viserai matchup can be solved by Guardian with a little card called Smack of Reality. And I'm assuming Smack of Reality is this UPF card that was printed in the, the professor box that just destroys all the auras. I have not seen the card. I've never read the card, but I've heard rumblings about it. I actually never even heard the name. I just heard, hey, there's this new card that just destroys all the auras. I forgot about that card. I definitely forgot about a lot of cards from around the table, but that's a good point. I actually completely forgot about that card. Let me <laughs> let me read that card out because I've actually never read this. I, seriously, I just heard about this card. Okay, here we go. Smack of Reality. It's a Guardian attack action. Um, it's red. It costs five. It attacks for nine and it blocks for three. And it says tower. If this has 13 or more power, it gets when this hits a hero, destroy all aura tokens they control. Yeah, but... Yeah, the fact this is a crush and this is just like if it has 13 or more destroy all is pretty gross but i do think you can you can box cut out you do play a lot of defense reactions in that deck so i don't think it's like a silver bullet that kills that deck but it is very good against against the aura um otk strategy so all right next one here is from ryan they say i've been wondering if they'll try restriction instead of banning <laughs> in ll it allows them to uh, still s say all cards are legal maybe hit awakening plus something else for starvo so a better premonition here that's exactly what they did <laughs> but i love that i love the maybe hit awakening plus something else how about six more cards ryan how about six more cards 
Yeah, and yeah, I'd love to hear people's thoughts on them hitting CLF as well, because that seems like uh, that's an interesting one to hit as Phi looms um, in that format. All right, Solmanite. Oh, uh, oh, I should have worded my question better. I do actually believe Blitz is a legit fab experience. I was more quoting rhetoric I'd seen online. So this is in regards to a statement last week that was asking if Blitz was a legitimate flesh and blood format, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, both of us, both of us, pretty much said yes in regards to that. That it is a legitimate flesh and blood format, and it's a legit fab experience. Yeah. I had somebody ask me Sunday, so a couple of days ago. They're like, "Oh, I'm looking about uh, playing flesh and blood. What introductory product should I buy?" I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "I actually said it, but I was like, but you should probably buy blitz decks uh, and play those against each other because that is your best introduction to flesh and blood." And it was funny though, being this entrenched in the game and someone asking me what they should buy for an introductory product to play with their girlfriend i was like mm-hmm. uh i don't know like maybe the upf thing <laughs> I was like, what? yeah maybe around the table that's been my answer as well dude that's a, it's a tough one and that should it shouldn't be tough that shouldn't be a tough he's like i heard they had this like dual deck thing i was like nope not that don't buy that <laughs> <laughs> all right next um that's it's a great uh, yeah also um the rhetoric i i think i know what solomon is referring to and honestly that that rhetoric is just kind of stupid so yeah. All right. Here, way of Hakodesh. Hakodesh. Totally agree with the brute analysis. Intimidate is such a toxic mechanic. Oh man, what if they brought it back? A truly negative play experience. I hope they make more mechanics for here and eventually phase it out. Well, 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 well. That is that is pretty funny. That's a funny question. It'd be interesting to see. <laughs> I think in terms of intimidate, like I, I agree, intimidate is a bit of a toxic mechanic, but I. When we were talking last week, someone asked what we wanted to see from heavy hitters. I said I want to see different takes on brute. I don't know what that is yet. <laughs> different but... takes on brute. Yeah, I'm sorry. Anyway, let's There's just, a lot of inside jokes on. going on here, um, and let's we apologize on. for them because yeah. Anyway, <laughs> different takes on brute. All right, <laughs> Ronan three three nine four. I forever maintain that Kano wins versus Icelander. We can fight on tempo, the uh, tempo axis, we can block well, and upon hitting stack, we win the game. I'm assuming good, uh, good play, both heroes, by both play heroes, Kano comes out on top unless Icelander draws very well. Yeah, you're, just, you're just wrong, Ronan, I'm sorry. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> you are just playing against bad Icelanders, and I don't mean to offend the Icelanders you're playing against, but, like, it really is a bell curve, like, I promise if you can beat, like, I'll even throw some names out there. If you can beat uh, Majin Bay, Peter, uh, Michael Hamilton on Icelanders playing Kano, let me know. <laughs> let me know. I'll book you a spot immediately and we'll, we'll, you'll take us to the promised land because it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. To be fair, though, if you're able to beat 95% of the players on a certain deck, yeah, but that's, then that's, that's that probably it's not the case either. That's the problem. It's like, well, I I do agree, I do agree, but I'm just I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit. Um, I also will point out that since the amulet of ice ban, I do think that Kano does gain some percentage points, but I think it's gone from like a 98-2 matchup to like a 90-10 matchup. Um, that is honestly that was one of the most frustrating times I've had testing flesh and blood was trying to find a way for I also for thought it was unlosable for Kano for quite a while because I was playing Kano on Talashar and yeah, I was you were crazy. absolutely shitting yeah, on every single Iceland <laughs> I played against it was not close at all like at all I was comboing them every time I could stack my deck if they wanted to go long like it was not close yeah. but <laughs> once we started doing that with internal testing it quickly switched and 
there's a little card called uh, Energy Potion, which they add in variable amounts of. And what, oh my god, it makes the matchup yeah. so bad. All right. Energy Potion and Amulet of Ice were the worst. I remember like messaging you guys. I think it was you, Sasha. Maybe it was when I think you were you were playing some games with Peter as well. And I'm just like, dude, me and Dan have played like close to 100 games this matchup, and we just we cannot beat. Like every time we adjust, we like work out the counter strategy is Iceland. Like we cannot beat it. And you're like. No, 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 no. And then like three days later, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, Icelander just wins. Also, like, it was a lot easier to beat Icelander when Icelander wasn't actually playing attack actions. Uh, like, it, Oh, yeah. I mean, if they're doing that, whatever. That, that's, no, no, but that's this is like weird. back in the day where it was like still, I don't even know if it's a good matchup. Okay. I think, I think it is if they're not. Um, so there was a couple of responses in the comment section on UPF being the issues with UPF being a lot around the kind of like attacking into multiple players and like, we talked about the the asynchronous kind of play that's involved, but a lot of people came back on that and said the big issue is really around your resources, you know, so you're four players, let's say, but you only have resources as if the game was one we won. Like it basically just isn't designed for this. And, and that's a big problem with UPF in terms of the the resources available to you on a turn to turn basis. You know, let's say you take your turn, the person to your left attacks you immediately and then you're now susceptible to the person on your right attacking you on their turn. And in that time, you get no actions. You get no way to draw up cards. You get nothing to do. And because it's a hand-to-hand -hand system, unlike Magic, where you're continuing to accrue resources in your hand, it's a very different prospect uh, for multiplayer, which, look, I completely agree with. That was one of my issues I had when I played UPF. So I thought it was just worth shouting out because multiple people kind of made that comment on last week's pod, Brendan. That's pretty funny. So you... you I, that's pretty funny, yeah. So you can just get, like, turbo attacked and it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, we get questions about UPF all the time. And at one point I'm just going to have to stop answering them because like, I'm just not, sure. I'm just not, the per <laughs> I'm just not the person. I'm just, I just, I no interest in that format from, I have an issue with the format or with UPF that is not an issue with legend stories design of the format. It's just, I don't like sitting there waiting for my turn in asynchronous games that consist of four players. And uh, yeah, I'm just not going to play it unless mm. I mean, it, Hell would have to freeze over for me to sit through a UPF game. I'll say that. All right. Let's get Brandon to do that in LA. <laughs> um, all right. Let's get into the main topic of the pod. It's been 40 minutes. We're going to get flamed for taking 40 minutes to get to the main topic of the pod, Brennan. But guess what? It's the end of the year. I don't care. There was mm -hmm. a lot to talk about. Um, we had some great responses on the Commander Cookout YouTube comment section. There's been a lot of changes from LSS. We had preview cards to talk about. With all that said and done, let's take a look back at 2023. Let's dive in um, from organized play to events and fab on and off the table. Some of our highs, lows, learnings and favorite moments. Let's start with organized play, uh, Brendan. And I want to talk just briefly about the year that was to start with, uh, just in case people kind of forgot. This has been a kind of crazy year for Flesh and Blood. Yes, we only had one PT, but there's been a lot of events. January 2023, so this year we kicked off with the ProQuest Season 3, qualifying people for Pro to uh baltimore <laughs> see i'm good at that um february we saw a couple of callings auckland indianapolis uh another win for michael hamilton continuing his dominance auckland was uh won by by sam sutherland uh, on dash when nothing happened much in march april we went into skirmish season six proto baltimore of course before we go into may with the road to national season plus calling antwerp uh was calling Antwerp was that the one that was won by pablo i have no idea Yes, it was. It was the one, one by Pablo. Uh, and, you know, so there was a bit of a narrative, remember, after Pro Tour Baltimore, kind of, you know, Michael, the Michael Fing, the Michael Hamilton, the Pablo Pinto kind of debate. Uh, as we moved on to the second half of the year, a lot of a lot more events. So we had uh, Calling Singapore, uh, of course, one by Nick Butcher. 
We had uh, multiple more battle hardens. We had the calling of Birmingham, where Pablo made another finals appearance, but I think um, Sam Sam Braben won that one on Icelander. Uh, August, we had skirmish season seven, another skirmish season underway. More battle hardens. I think four battle hardens, plus we went into calling Vegas, uh, which was alongside US Nationals, calling Vegas, won by Yuki Lee Bender, right? Let's not forget, I want to talk a little bit about Yuki as we get into kind of the mm-hmm. year in review. National Championship season uh, went underway. September, more battle hardens. October, yet a lot more battle hardens, including the foray into Tokyo for the Japan market, the Japanese market, and Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, uh, calling Taipei, won by um, our dear Azalea player, uh, Oh my gosh, Justin. Sorry, I was just blanking on Justin's name for a second. Uh, more battle hardens. And then November, of course, calling Melbourne. And then uh, the World Championship, calling one by Ben Dodd. And that's kind of the year. A lot of battle hardens this year when I look back at oh, Pro Season 4 as well, of course, qualifying for PTLA. But a lot of battle hardens uh, happened this year, Brendan. Mm-hmm. Who's, uh, who wins your player of the year? Oh, that's a that's great question. Not- you know what? It's actually a snap answer. It's actually a snap okay, answer okay. for me. It's Yuki. Yeah. Yuki's had an insane season. I didn't realize like how many callings Yuki is as top. It's like something like four callings plus the win and a, a world's three callings, sorry, plus the win and a world's uh a world's top eight. After like finishing top of Swiss, right? Like Yuki kind of just dominated Swiss at Worlds and ran into eventual winner, Alex, in the quarterfinals. So I don't know, I think I, I think it's Yuki for me, honestly. Yeah, I think it's a pretty fair answer, to be honest. I, it's hard. Like, I, I was looking back at the callings, like yeah. calling, like you, yeah, you, Yuki literally made three calling top eights, including the the Vegas one and a, and a PT top eight. Like that's kind of insane. I mean, I, I think the other contenders would be would be you know Brody, Michael Fing, Sam Sutherland. I think um, would yeah. be the other well, contenders. Charles Dunn even. <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if that was a one sided question to me, Brennan. You was. can. Okay. All right. We'll leave it there. Um, let's talk a little bit about favorite event of twenty twenty three. Personally. Maybe, mm. or just from a maybe, yep. you know, you did all the casting this year. You were sat on the casting side almost exclusively this year. So I'll have a player's perspective. You can have a uh, commentator's perspective, but favorite 20, event of 2023? Uh, my favorite event was Pro Tour Baltimore. Uh, I just feel like the energy was there. Um, I really enjoyed casting a lot of those games. They were, they were pretty grindy, to be honest. Like there was a lot mm. of old him, uh, Dramai, and then there was, of course, everybody's favorite deck, Lexi, but still. I don't know. The venue was really cool. Baltimore. I wouldn't say Baltimore as a city was awesome, but it was better than I'm sure everybody thought it was going to be. And yeah, I just felt like the energy was really there at, at Baltimore. I really enjoyed it. The World Championships was awesome, but I was very sick. So <laughs> that part sucked. Yeah, I think 2023, obviously missing Baltimore kind of sucked for me. Like I would have loved to have been in Baltimore. Um, and of course, you know, there's, this is personal, right? There's callings that we didn't attend in Europe, et cetera. Um, Birmingham, for instance, was a massive calling. I would have loved to have been there. I, I think for me, my favorite, personally, my favorite event was Singapore, uh, calling Singapore. And not just for like a personal result, making top eight was was great. But I just, the the community in Singapore is honestly one of the best communities I've experienced when it comes to Flesh and Blood. They're so passionate. They love the game. They put on great events. Um, this was kind of in the sunsetting era of of Ultim as well um and yeah i don't know just overall love the event i felt like i enjoyed my preparation for the event i love the event itself i love spending time in singapore spending time with with people from um the singapore singaporean community but also from around like sea doing a few things dinners etc so yeah mine would definitely be be calling singapore um do you have a most memorable match of the year as a as someone who's commentated a lot of games this year and some big games 
do you have a memorable match that kind of comes to the forefront for you? And I can speak uh, from like a maybe a player standpoint as well. Let me think. I feel like it was Michael Fang versus Yuha. I think they played mm. right the uh, semifinal of of yeah. the PT of PT Baltimore. And it yeah, was, that, it was like a two hour game, man. It was quite was- quite well navigated by Michael Fang. Uh, yep. It was just really impressive with the way he. Of course, it was a nutrition-based matchup. It was on a more defensive Olden deck, oh, which is funny because he totally flipped it up in the finals. Um, <laughs> but the way that he pitched the specifically the defense reactions to line up against the ghostly touch was just like very, very, very well done. And yeah, I think it was my favorite match. I think from like a, so I have a personal and then a um, from a flesh and blood player, like a spectator standpoint, I think from a spectator standpoint, it was just watching the, the Tom Dowling run at uh melbourne i was in the venue so i didn't i got to watch some of his games like in person standing next to the table but you know watching his final on us like on like five phones while we were doing like a, a practice draft for bright lights over in the corner just waiting to see if he could pull it out uh was such a memorable match and you know like congrats again to ben Dobb, but that game was so close and you know that the fairy tale of of dash io winning that would have kind of been insane so um and then from a personal standpoint i had a my quarterfinals at nationals this year a two-hour Dramai Mirror pre-tome, screw that card, uh, was one of the best games I've played this year personally against Zach Gardner. And yeah, I just, I, I love pre, I'm such a, I feel like an old dude, you know, like, oh, back in my day before Tome, Dromo yeah, was great. You know? <laughs> but honestly, that's how I feel. I, I enjoyed playing Dromo so much pre, uh, pre-tome. So, and that two-hour Mirror match didn't do me any favors in my semifinal, unfortunately, but uh, was one of the best games I've played of Flesh and Blood this year, I think. So, uh, We talked quickly about players. I just kind of wanted to shout out a few other players that kind of left their mark this year, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing what these players do in, in 2024. Uh, people like Brody Spurlock, Yuki Lee Bender, who's had an amazing season. Uh, of course, your world champion, Alex from Greece, Michael Fing, Aaron Shantz had an amazing season as well. I was looking back at some of the calling top eights, also topped multiple calling top eights plus Pro Tour top eight, uh, sorry, Worlds top eight. Uh, Shing, who made the finals at Worlds. Sam Sutherland, who won a calling, won a Nationals, topped another calling as well. Uh, just insane. Plus multiple like cash finishes at, at Worlds, at PT, etc. Michael Hamilton, of course, had an amazing start to the year. Uh, interested to see if, what he'll come back with next year. Lucas Oswald, another young gun alongside Brody, who's had mul- top multiple callings, won Battle Hardened at Worlds as well. Uh, Michael Jaska, same thing. Uh, out of Canada and Charles Dunn who won US Nationals plus topped a couple of callings as well so I don't know I have a question for you though which is how do more <laughs> non North American players break into this group with the current kind of event skew we have I don't know that's a funny one I would say, <laughs> I would say win more events but they do actually have less events um, I don't know there's always there's so the I think there's a fair NA skew to uh, North American players winning events like that's a fair skew. Uh, then there's also an unfair skew, which is, I don't know, a lot of content creators tend to be from North America and they sort of weave mm. the narrative uh, on some of these players. But I mean, one of the narratives I think that came out of this year was Hong Kong, uh, like Shing and his team. Yeah, Blue Pitch, Team Blue yeah. Pitch. So, yeah. I mean, they, they were the best performing team at the World Championship by quite a margin. Yeah, not even so. close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three in the... Wait, two in the top eight, three in the top 16, four in cash, right? Yeah. I think from memory. Yeah, pretty well. Kind so, of insane. Yeah. Ultimately, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but I think that they're, I honestly think they're doing fine already. Yeah. I tried to be pretty partial though. Like I, 
uh, impartial, sorry. I went and looked at the results from the year back and these are the players who had multiple callings, multiple wins or, or both. Um, and there is a couple like uh, Florian Christian Lahon who won the calling at Worlds, you know, also came second at the, the, the massive battle Harden uh, in the US earlier in the year as well. So there, not that these European players aren't performing. Pablo obviously had an amazing season as well, makes finals at calling Birmingham and wins calling Antwerp. Um, so it's not like the European contingent haven't had a good year as well. Uh, it just that there is a, a number of people and because there was more callings again in the US this year, more opportunities to um, to get multiple event tops or wins. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting one. All right. Let's talk about some favorites. Favorite deck of what was your favorite deck to play this year? Akino. I think that that's unsurprising <laughs> and unchanging. <laughs> it just is uh, like that just is the answer. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not the it wasn't the most competitive deck for a lot of these metas, but it's still the most fun deck. All right, I'm not going to bother asking you uh, what to dive into it for the next meta then, because I feel like we've already had that conversation the other, like the other week. Uh, I think mine was Ultim, honestly, which I was, oof, that's crazy to say that my, my favorite deck to play this year was Ultim, but I got to play it for about six weeks in total, I think, over the end of the road to national season and then calling Singapore and had so much fun playing Ultim. And that new kind of style um, of what Ultim ended up being, which is a lot more aggressive, a lot more proactive, uh, a lot more kind of like... You got to you got through your stack a lot. Well, you didn't get through your stack. But you got through the games a lot faster, I think, in terms of what you were trying to set up in the end game, especially in the mirror. I love playing the mirror. Uh, I would have loved to have saved Dromai, but honestly, Brendan, Tome of Imperial Flame can mm. jump off a cliff. Yeah. So there's a question here. It says card that pissed you off the most. I'm assuming yours is Tome of Imperial. Tome Flame. of Imperial Flame. <laughs> mine's Tome of Imperial. I just mine's probably Tome as well, but um, it could also be Remembrance. Hmm. Yeah. Remembrance is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, Proto Baltimore would look a lot different without Remembrance. Yep. Future, future flesh and blood will look a lot different without remembrance, most likely. Like it is a card. Do you think they should just get rid of it? Do you think they should just get rid of it? Maybe. Or can they not because of just kind of the power level and the shifts of what it could do to some potential heroes? I don't know. Um, I think honestly, like the biggest issues with that card are just like how polarizing it can be on those attrition based matchups. But like ultimately, the card in a vacuum is not crazy. It's just mm. it just feels a bit warping sometimes. Yeah. And it's just like at some point. It kind of feels like the only card that really matters in matchups, and yes. that's kind of boring. Yep, I agree. It ca- a card shouldn't feel like that in Flesh and Blood. Like, it shouldn't be like, oh, this card's going to define this matchup, this matchup, this matchup, because so at some point, like that, it's, it's... But but not... It's like, Remembrance is always the same thing. Like, it's always the same game pattern for the decks that play it. Whereas, like, you could say, okay, Okanol defines this in X deck, or, you know, Tome of Imperial Flame defines it in Dromai, for instance. But, like... The way that every time you play a Tome of Imperial Flame, it looks different. Do you mean the end result of the cards that get played on the mm. table are different? Whereas Remembrance is like, for most decks that play mm. Remembrance, it's for a specific Sometimes you have different targets, you know? Like, sometimes you grab your two rakes and, and your one uh, your one Azvali. Sometimes you grab your two Azvali's, your one rake. I mean, there's so many decisions yeah. being made. Brilliant. I mean, sometimes you grab your Cadaver's Contrabands, but whatever. All right, what about cards you enjoyed the most in 2023? Oh, God. I didn't even think about this one. I can start. I can yeah. start. Mine's um, Van Brace. I really enjoyed playing Van Brace because it was partial, was, was such an important part of my favorite matchup of the year, which is the Ultimate Mirror. So, which is something that honestly I never thought I'd ever say. But yeah, the the Ultimate Mirror, particularly in kind of the the time just before Ultimate Living Legend, so really low ice, a lot more combat based. Um, that that deck was a lot of fun to play, as I said. And then the Ultimate matchup, Van Brace just had the most impact in that matchup and i 
just the way that Van Brace meant that you play the matchup was kind of really enjoyable to me. So I think I think my favorite card, weirdly, or the card I enjoyed the most, definitely, definitely my favorite card, but the card I enjoyed the most would be would be Van Brace, which is yeah. I feel like yeah, I have to pick a new a new card. Um All right. I don't know. I think twin drive is pretty cool. Like just enabling the maximum velocity a oh, yeah. bit more and adding yeah, just a little bit of gas out of the deck. I'm not sure if I enjoyed Dash as like a hero, but I, I do think that that card was really cool. And I did not see it coming in terms of the design of like being able to double boost off of it. So I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Twin Drive and Van Brace of Determination. Good cards. Uh, where are we Where are we next? I just kind of briefly lost my... Um... Oh, yeah. What's your, what's your biggest level up as a player? I know you spend a lot of time on coverage this year, so feel free to throw this as a, as a coverage piece, but maybe you've learned something from obviously your time testing and playing, but also kind of from what you've seen of other players, but kind of your biggest level up in 2023. Um, it's interesting. It's probably something in regards to testing and like <laughs> being in a house like a week before and like how important that is and how much of a difference it can make. I also think that the more open testing is just optimal nowadays. Um, but yeah, I think it's all in, in regards to testing. Just like the more disciplined approach, being able to get out there and actually get in person. Because I remember there was at one point in Barcelona where Sasha like kept weighing up these ideas that were kind of ridiculous, uh, especially in regards to like Icelander and some of the Ardex matchups into Icelander and like wanted to test that. And I was just like, just wait. <laughs> like literally in 12 hours, we have Peter and Majin coming over. Whatever questions you have, just we'll test it against that. Because there's no reason for me and you to try to reinvent the wheel here and not only become masters of this Icelander deck, but also tweak it in the correct way where it can play against this Jermai deck and just like evaluate all these concepts. And then we have these guys come into the house in 12 hours and just shatter all of that. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think this shows the importance of testing to tier four and tier three events into high level events. Is that miners? In terms of something that we talked about on the pod, we talked about testing a couple of weeks ago, and I also talked about kind of locking into a deck early and um, locking into a powerful strategy. So surveying the the meta, understanding at a deeper level, kind of what is actually powerful versus what's not locking in and then just finding the best strategies and the best cards for the matchup and just understand it. And I, you know, went away for that four worlds and got severely punished for it. And it was a learning that we took away from Leo last year. And somehow I forgot about it within the space of 12 months. Um, but I think when I look back at kind of my favorable results over the past 12 months, like it's because of doing that. So my plan for 2024 in particular is to stick true to that kind of mantra of locking into the deck a bit earlier finding something powerful that I enjoy that I think is or attacks the meta in a very interesting way and and just learn the kind of heck out of it. So yeah. Testing, mm-hmm. Brendan, preparation. Yep. What's the uh preparation prevents piss poor performance, the four Ps, right? So <laughs> what's been your biggest level up as a content creator this year? I mean this is kind of a big one because I did a lot more content in twenty twenty three. Uh like a shitload more. Um I definitely learned a lot. A lot. Uh, I honestly don't think I can distill it into a single question or a single answer. The one thing I will say is that, um, and I've said it before, especially when it comes to podcasting, a lot of it's about resilience and discipline. Um, I mean, obviously, there's some foundation of like, do people actually want to listen to you? 
etc but once you get past that like the <laughs> the true like magic fairy dust for what creates success is actually just discipline and just sticking with it to be honest mm-hmm. what about you yeah um i think it's creating the content i, I want and i enjoy rather than creating the content i think oh, yeah. people want. did we do that shit in 2022 yeah i mean um, yeah. yeah yeah i also did it a little bit in the first half of 2023 i think as well uh trying to force content a little bit and it's just unnatural and i think um you know it made me create pieces of content that i didn't particularly feel passionate about and i think that's kind of something that i'm taking away into 2024 is like i'm going to create the pieces of content i want to i'm going to set time aside for those really interesting pieces to me and um kind of not worry about the the other stuff so yeah i think and that's resulted in some of my favorite pieces of content which i think we can kind of maybe move on to which is like what's your favorite piece of personal fab content in in 2023 a piece of content that you made or or favorite podcast yeah for me it's the one we do with brian um Mm-hmm. yeah it's like not really close to be honest <laughs> where we delve into design and kind of the future of flesh and blood yeah but just story got really lucky with hiring him i'll say that i, I agree yeah <laughs> <laughs> i agree uh i i think for for me my some of my favorite content was the actually the gameplay that i did with nick butcher we did a, a two gameplay series uh one with dynasty and then one with um dust of dawn so with the supplemental sets, and I, I really enjoyed creating those, I think. And I think we had some really interesting games and some really interesting decks, um, particularly like show, you know, in one of the games, Nick showcases a, a Dromai deck or a Dromai idea that we kind of saw more of as, as uh, also that game's insane, uh, as we move through into kind of more modern Dromai uh, takes. And then also, uh, you know, I think showing off kind of new cards, showing off Levire a little bit, um, showing that, you know, at the time, this right could still hang, although, you know, no Rosetta Thorn. But yeah, and I think from a podcast standpoint, I think probably my, we, we did a lot of podcasts I really enjoyed this year, particularly around like kind of yeah. fundamentals. Um, and we had some really cool interviews as well. But I, I think kind of my favorite personal podcast was the one we did on like navigating in games. I really enjoyed creating that. And I think that there's a lot of value in that podcast. So if you haven't checked that out, this episode 113, um, we're going back like six months. It's like the middle of the year, yeah. but Navigating in Games is one of my favorite pods that we did. Believe it or not, we did 51 podcasts so far this year. This is the 51st. Wow. How does that work? Uh, that I know. It's crazy, right? Carry the one <laughs> minus the two. <laughs> uh, do you have any fab regrets in 2023? Any things that yeah. you, know, you wish you'd done? Or- yeah, okay. pretty much all of casting. <laughs> I mean, it was a cool experience, to be honest, like, and it was good to take a break from the game, but I don't know. It's just like, I feel like if I was looking back in five years or in 10 years, and this isn't like I'm looking, I'm not, I'm not like trying to blow this out of proportion for the meaningful, like how meaningful flesh and blood is, but, um, it's just way, I think it's just way cooler to, to be a player and to, I don't know, the casting thing is like, it seemed attractive at first but then once i got into it once i did it um especially towards the end it was like yeah this is definitely not for me both for reasons that are personal to me but also that are specific to casting like i'm probably just not the ideal candidate for that and there's just something to flesh and blood and what makes flesh and blood rewarding and it really comes down to hanging out with your friends preparing together and then like you know testing yourselves at this event and casting is very antithetical to that um yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm happy I did it because it gives me a better frame of reference, but I do think that it was ultimately, like, kind of a waste, but not a, not a waste in the sense that I was able to learn from yeah. it, but I wouldn't do it again. 
Fair. I think I, just on the back of that, I feel like I barely saw Udemins this year. That's another piece of it. It's like, I feel like I barely saw Brennan because- Yeah, it's they, you know, work like the, crazy the, hours. The, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, yeah. And you're in a different sphere as well. Um, so I have a statement I want to say, and you can just agree or disagree with the statement. Uh, you don't have to like mm-hmm. comment on it if you don't want to. And then I have a question for you. So my statement is that we need higher level players in commentary to provide in-depth analysis and create some connection, some personal connection with the game and also to deliver a great experience to viewers because I think that's really important to developing viewership in Flesh and Blood and kind of this connection. My question is the, the current setup of how casters are, the remunera- remuneration for casters, but also the kind of like system for selecting and bringing on casters kind of feels a bit broken to me. So you can either agree or disagree with the, the kind of total statement, but my question is like, how do we kind of, encourage more high-level players might not be the right fit for you but to potentially move into the casting world and be the kind of people that we need for the future of of coverage in this game so i mean it's a it's a heavy question but i'll i mean i can even say something that's probably more risque than that which is that i think if someone is in the casting booth for flesh and blood and they don't understand the game at a deep level it's not very useful and there's a concept in casting that there is a person that does what they call play-by-play and the host role and that's very important but in my opinion that person should also be intricately aware of the game and able to actually analyze it on a deep and professional level i think that a lot of the mistakes that have happened when it comes to casting and the talent team in the past and this is not this is honest honestly this is actually not in regards to world championships have been because that there's this preconceived idea that someone who you can have someone who does play by play or who does this host role and they have no responsibility to be uh very entrenched and knowledgeable about the game and i think that it's ultimately like very bad <laughs> like i don't think that that person like this archetype of person provides value where it's actually the complete opposite on the on the production side the production side puts the most value on that person and they put the least value on the person that you know is deeply aware of the game is maybe has played the game professionally it knows what it's like to be at these tournaments like i think that you just need to find someone you know these kinds of people that are the whole package right that are both presentable can play the host Mm -hmm. role but are also very invested in the game and that's sort of like my biggest (laughs) my 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 biggest thing when it comes and i've I've said that so many times on the back end as well i do think it's going to be hard for them to motivate people to do that because like casting is really in flesh and blood is compensated pretty poorly to be, to be honest like it's very very far below industry standard and like honestly they made some changes in regards to the people that run that era of the division and it's been overwhelmingly negative to work with some of those people because they've been a bit deceitful and yeah i don't know like i've had my business experience especially since they changed management at that has been just it's been so bad to be honest i don't like talking about it on the pod because ultimately the ca- the casting experience and all that it's it's professional to do but it's it's been very good but all of the logistics stuffs all of the negotiations like all the all it's all been just it's made me never want to do it ever again because it was just so not worth it and there's there's people who have to do it to you know like it really matters to them uh like if the compensation is this or that and it becomes very political and it's just like 
I don't know. I think we end up with a product that we're not actually looking for in the end because a lot of it's a lot of the stuff is happening for the wrong reasons, and it was just, it was just too much of a headache. It was like I might as well just fucking play because because especially for Arsenal Pass, it's like literally doing casting is bad for the channel. Like I know that you know this. I know that I know this. Ultimately, for Arsenal Pass, our channel, our brand, we even like the team thing that we're doing now. Like me not playing is actively bad for the channel. So I'm taking an opportunity cost to do that. It's just, and then now as we've come to the state where it's more and more not worth it, it's just overwhelmingly the correct decision for me to play the game instead. And I will enjoy it more because my friends are also doing that. So yeah, mm. it's it's a lot It's a lot to answer, Hayden. But ultimately, yeah, to your question, I agree with you. I think we will have a hard time finding those people and also keeping those people. But uh, unfortunately, systematically, it's not, it doesn't seem to be what they're looking for uh, in terms of like the people, some of some, yeah. and don't, don't extrapolate this to, you know, attach what I'm saying to certain people or something not. But I mean, systematically, I think that the, production in general casting in general puts too much emphasis on this role of play-by-player the host to the yeah. to the extent that they'll even bring people on who don't even know like what the cards do and like that's just i just don't think that's worth it yeah i mean i agree and i actually just want to on a positive note shout out um punkage ethnic smoke who i think is kind of in my eyes, is kind of the yeah. person that you're talking he's about. He's actually winning what, tournaments. What we need. <laughs> yeah, he actually yeah. wins he's tournaments. He's a very good player. Yeah, he's articulate. He understands the game. Yeah. Very articulate. He's very intelligent and understands, and his intelligence relates to the game, right? He understands the game at a deeper level. He thinks about the game on a very theory-based level. Um, and so it can ask these important questions, but also answer these important questions, I think. And you have to be able to do both. To ask, kind of what you said. To, ask you, to ask a relevant important and thought-provoking question in most scenarios you have to already know some of the answer to it to even come up with the question and i think that that's sure. that's that's one of the key things is like when i see joe schmo interview like x game designer it's not very interesting but then when you see someone who like is very very much understands the game and digs into the questions the real problems like that's way more interesting. it's the same thing for casting like the play-by-play role cannot ask the correct questions to the an analysis role if they don't understand what's going on. So, yeah, it's yep. it's a whole thing. <laughs> I think mine will pale in comparison. We talk about um, fabric grids, but I, just just quickly, I think mine has been kind of not doing the thing I want to do uh, in, in Flesh and Blood and probably trying to appease kind of, you know, a, a, a vision or an idea of what I should do when it comes to playing or or whatever. So I think, you know, in 2024, I'm just going to play how I want to play the game, go to the events I want to play and just enjoy the game. Yeah. yeah that's, that's my I think you and I have done the same thing too, to an extent, but like, and like, this is even a conversation. It's not even like 100% for the pot, but I'll just say it on the pot anyways. Like at the end of the day, in Flesh and Blood, Hayden and I are very lucky, very fortunate and like we do have the opportunity to engage with the game on a very sustainable level to go to events to interact with people that listen to the podcast and just like have these awesome experiences and i think that like that needs to be our focus rather than trying to push for you know whether it was me like wanting like oh i want to do casting and i want to achieve this and like maybe i could keep casting and that would be like a thing i could do it's like we already have like such an opportunity to engage with the game that's already on like, such a fun level uh mm. such a such a uh rewarding level it's like i think we just do that <laughs> like I, I don't know like it's 
it's clear what the optimal path is for me, I think, moving forward. I have to ask this question because I think you have a, a bit of an amendment to make from last week's pod, but I asked you about your favorite bit of content you made personally. What about that? someone else's favorite bit of content or a bit, favorite bit of content from someone else? Oh, yeah. So wait, what, was the, what was the amendment? I forget. It was like... So last week on the pod, you did uh, say that you, you liked the Chain Living Legend video that was made by... <laughs> <clears throat> misattributed to <clears throat> excuse me to Gorganian tone but it was actually Mike from uh, from Blockout Party that, that made that video yeah sorry Mike sorry about that <laughs> sorry about that sorry about that I, I think I watched the videos pretty cl- pretty close in succession to each other and that's why I maybe got that mixed up but yeah that was my favorite piece of content was the history of Shane uh, of Chain. Mm-hmm. I think that the the history stuff um I just really enjoy that in card games in general like the uh the resleevables I don't know if you know that mm. podcast. They recently came back, and now they're playing the decks from the Magic: The Gathering 1994 championship. Oh, it's just like, they're never fun, though. They're never fun, though. That's the thing we've I know, tried. You this. think it's they'll not be fun, fun. That they're, they're not fun. <laughs> yeah, because you just like you have Library Exile of Alexandria on turn one, and you're just drawing yeah. cards. But That's game. yeah, but it's cool. It's really cool to go back, and I, I actually, I look forward to the day that potentially this podcast gets to go back and sort of rehash the history of the game as it pro- mm-hmm. the metas progressed. Dude, we've been here a while. It'll be three years next year, so we've we'll got some more. I know it's it. kind of it's like um, already is it too early to be like the history of Welcome to Wraith? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, dude, a lot of people did not uh, play Welcome to Wraith, so I think it's uh, it's 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 relevant. We mm-hmm. can talk about that. Um, just yeah, shout out to to Blockout Party and to Ganyan Tome, both respectively for the content they've created this year. I think um, my favorite bit of content is probably Fab as a Fighting Game, which Ganyan Tome did did create. Uh, and then shout out to to the Living Legend Journey of Chain from uh, Mike from Blockout Party for doing that. So, all right, uh, let's let's kind of just wrap this up. Um, I had some some other questions, but let's look forward to twenty twenty four. And I want to ask, kind of, what does your you, you said you're returning to play in twenty twenty four? What does that kind of look like for you? Uh, my kind of one I had circled on the calendar for you probably would be Battle Hard in Dallas, which is the weekend before the PT would be kind of your return to play, and then uh, PTL LA. Uh, the weekend after yeah i mean that hard now it's just so easy to make it to but uh, ultimately the only things i really care about are the the pro tours and the world championships i just hopefully that we can i hope that we can get um you know people together for that because i remember i was already talking to sasha about la and he's like oh i think i have to fly in and fly out i'm just like this is like the worst thing ever <laughs> like yeah, just I'm doing get, the same as well yeah just you guys <laughs> just of. gotta get there a week before um in my opinion if you can swing it and sasha definitely can fucking swing it but apparently like the flight places are are crazy because that's i don't know those are the that's the most enjoyable time of flesh and blooded for me is the testing in person like the week before the tournament is fun but i mean you do 90 percent of the work before the tournament and that's what i enjoy it's so funny i'm like i think maybe this is i don't know if it's an age thing or like just kind of my development but i'm kind of moving away from that a little bit like i i i do don't get me wrong i do enjoy the the grind the pre-grind but it's definitely i've not found it as enjoyable as i used to i think so i'm kind of reevaluating what i want to do in that space in terms of how i want to travel to events um i think i'm starting to value a lot more just the total experience and being able to see things. I mean, mm. to be fair, LA, there's nothing to see anyway, but, you know, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I live in LA. There's, <laughs> there's, there's plenty to see in LA. I, I I've seen LA it though. I've seen it. I've seen years. it. 
Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. Um, but yeah. Okay. So, so what about callings? What Are you on the radar for callings this no. year? Are you, you're not going to play any callings? I don't know That's about that. It's just like, I mean, if they're convenient, if I ha- if I know other people that are going, like if I want to play at that time, but no, I'm not going to go out of my way. So there's like, there's a mentality that goes into that. Pro Tour LA is coming up. It, I don't, I really don't care if I'm currently in the mood for flesh and blood or currently not in the mood. I'm going to play for it. I'm going to prepare for it. And I'm committed to that. That's not the same for whatever calling in whatever region of the United States. So it's more of an on the fly thing. If I feel like it, if it's convenient, if it's the right time, I'll do it. But I'm not committing to any callings. I'm committing to the Pro Tours and the World Championships. Oh man, I'd love to be able to just be like, ah, oh, maybe I won't go to that calling. That's a two hour, three hour flight from me. Like, I, I think anything within an eight hour, like I'm like, I've, I've got to be there. That, yeah, not, that- not I've got to be there, but I, I want to be there. Like I want to be, I, I love callings, honestly. I love playing callings. Um, yeah actually actually yeah i mean it's funny yeah i i enjoy casting callings <laughs> which is funny off the off the back of what i just talked about but um i mean it's different in the calling scene because you have the savage feats production like all that stuff so those are those are yeah, much yeah. more enjoyable to, to cast yeah i mean shout out to those guys um ethan and, and the team have done a great job so uh, what a year for those guys as well so shout out um how are you planning to qualify what's your kind of road to qualification I'll like? are you using use my ptis that are banked up how many PCIs are you sitting on? Uh, two or three. I think it's two now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So maybe I have to buy one this year. I think, I mean, depending how the year goes. So I'm qualified for LA via ProQuest. Um, nationals, I mean, I have to qualify for nationals, road to nationals. That's fine. But Worlds, uh, you know, I've really fallen sharply off the, uh, the ELO leaderboards after a pretty poor second half of the year, Brendan. So yeah. I might be cashing in my first PTI for Worlds. We'll see. I cashed in my first at nationals and I regret it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would not do that again. I would not use a BTI for nationals again. I mean, Especially I would if I was like super prepared and not playing Kano, but you know. Yeah. It was a limited format I didn't want to play and a constructed format I didn't really want to prepare for. So it was a, yeah. a mistake. Final question. And this is something uh, more I kind of want to talk about, but I mean, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this as well. I was like, content you want to make in 2024? Is there any particular content that you've liked making in 2023 or stuff that you've seen that you want to kind of replicate or, or do in 2024 uh, outside of you know obviously the podcast will be here we're doing the podcast i don't know that's tough it's tough I- i'm split between like three games right now so it's like uh it's hard to answer that question because mm-hmm. there's only like one that's like really on my list in terms of like, I actually want to get it done in 2024. And that's more related to uh, some of the Lorcana stuff and like where I think that we can, we can take that because it's a bit underdeveloped right now. It's kind of where Fab was in the early days, but in regards to flesh and blood, um, I mean, we, we came up with this idea a few years ago because we were doing the opposite of this, which is like, I really don't want to be a flesh and blood YouTuber. It's like not my goal. Mm -hmm. Um, my main goal when it comes to the podcast is to make sure the podcast keeps on going, but also to provide as much value as possible to the patrons and make sure that we have like the high level and relevant deck techs um, for those marquee events. Outside of that, I mean, there's really no content that jumps out to me right at this moment that I want to make. I, I honestly, I pretty much don't like doing all YouTube stuff. I like doing podcasts and that that's probably that that might be apparent at this point, but I just really, really don't like, I, I don't want to be a YouTuber. And it took us, I think it took us and it took me a few years to realize that, that it's like, I'm not a YouTuber. 
I'm just, I'm a, I'm a podcaster and the podcast happens to go on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, I, I've really enjoyed making content for YouTube, particularly gameplays and- um, Yeah, the gameplays are fun. Yeah. Dick. Dick, um, dick, dick related stuff. I mean, my, my favorite video, it's not this year. It was the very tail end of last year that I've, that I've made was the, the Kano deep dive. Like the, you know, the yeah, ultimate so guide most to watched Kano, video, that, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. It was our most watched video. Uh, it was our <laughs> most watched video in 2023. I got a little notification from YouTube or like I saw on the analytics board, but yeah. I don't know if you knew mm, that. If you haven't seen, I mean, go check it out. It, 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 I would also love to hear if there's people, I'm assuming just based on the views, there's stuff people want more of, but this is something that I would like to, to make for, Another hero in 2024. Um, so that's on my radar. Plus some more some more gameplays. Uh, I, I enjoy the YouTube content. It's honestly my struggle is just finding time to be able to do it. So um, and 2024 for me is going to be the busiest year from a career standpoint. So um, I'm, I'm TBC on how I'm going to make this all work. What about what about tier lists, reacts, news, all that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, that's all coming. Okay, into yeah. it from- Bugger off. We're never doing any of that. Even when you ask me about like who's my player of the year, I'm like, this is encroaching on, uh, <laughs> this is encroaching. on uh, foreign soil here. I'm not I'm not sure I wanna but you know, I, I shout out to Yuki because Yuki's just had insane years. I mean, look, a lot of people have had insane years, but um I have one last thing to shout out before we uh, drop off, which is just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's reached out to us this year in terms of, you know, whether it's been at events, they've come up to us and have a chat, they've messaged us uh on Twitter, on um, discord they've been in our, our patreon discord they've asked us questions on youtube they've emailed us questions they've um, sent us questions through patreon people reach out to us in so many different ways and i just want to say a massive thank you we try to get to everything that we can it's not always possible and so if we've ever missed your question or or you know not replied to your dm or whatever it is like it's not it's not personal uh it's just because we've literally just not had the time to to reply to everything but we do try and reply so um i don't know what what's like i honestly think that like if you're in our discord that's the easiest way to um to get your sort of questions or queries or whatever read heard answered by us um mm. so if you're there otherwise uh, youtube i think is the other one yeah i would just say that if you ever see us at an in-person event oh that's the easiest and way. you're considering you're like <laughs> what if, am i going to annoy them they look busy you should probably come up because honestly, yeah, the the interpersonal reaction, uh, inter- the yeah, personal interactions that we have at these events are pretty core to the reason of like why we do this. Like it's very <laughs> unique and like it's never inconvenient, and it's probably the most rewarding part of doing this podcast is meeting uh, people to listen to the podcast in person. So if you've ever been hesitant, shy, or you think there's like something that's inconvenient to us it's definitely not and i would uh i would encourage you to come up in person if you want to that one a thousand percent all right Brennan, why don't you take us out all right well if you're listening to this and you enjoyed the number one thing you can do is leave us a review on apple podcasts or spotify there's a video version of this on youtube at youtube.com slash arsenal pass the subscribe while you're there we got brennan apg on twitter finn underscore dale and once again a big thank you to all the arsenal pass patrons you help us do what we do as we approach episode 156 here pretty soon which is three years which is pretty crazy to be honest think it all started Back in the day when I was I was driving up to Colorado, I was listening to a little podcast called uh, Session Blood. Had some man cooking me on a psyop with viscerai and uh, what, what was the card? Sutcliffe's research notes. It was. And it was just like talking about the potential of this card, and you know, three years later, we're still on the un- unified decree psyop. So, yeah. <laughs> may it continue. All right, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.